from the Duck South Studios in Morgan City, Mississippi. I love the smell of napalm in the morning. I want to punch you in the face so bad right now. This is the On The X podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I didn't get a harumph out of that guy. Get the governor harumph. What we've got here is failure to communicate. Today's episode is brought to you by Advantage Multi from Bayer. Advantage Multi is veterinarian's number one choice in the prevention of heartworms, fleas, roundworms, hookworms, and whipworms. Treats and controls sarcoptic mange. Make sure your dog is protected by using Advantage Multi. I said what I said and I'll stand by it to the death. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? And now, here are your hosts, Jay Paul Jackson. You just love to hear yourself talk, don't you? Even when you're not saying anything. Rocky LaFleur. Yo, Adrian! Adrian! Houston Kennedy. Please, Houston, we have a problem. And Josh Webb. Coons. We're raccoons trying to get on our back porch. Mama just chased them off with a broom. Welcome to the On The X Podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. I'm Jay Paul Jackson, and today I'm in the studios in Morgan City, Mississippi, with our co-host Rocky LaFleur, and out on the road, our buddy Josh Webb. We've got a great show for you today also, because not only I'm on here with Rocky and Josh, but we also have with us Mike Buxton, the Waterfowl Programs Manager from Delta Waterfowl. Mike, man, welcome to the program. Thanks, Jay Paul. Great to be here. We're really, really glad to have you. Josh, Rocky, good to have both of you guys on here with me, too. Yeah, it's good to be here with everybody. Uh, this will be a, this will be another great one. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, we're just all enjoying this uh, record heat for November the 1st. 88 degrees here in the Duck South Studios. <laughs> this weather is absolutely brutal. And, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on here with us today, Mike, was because as Waterfowl Programs Manager and as a biologist, I figured you could give us some insight on the upcoming migration on exactly what triggers um, ducks to migrate. I know Rocky's got a, a question about Halloween there, there for you in a minute. So, you know, we're really excited to have you uh, on here with us to share some of that with us. Yeah, before we dig out, dig into all of that, uh, Mike, I wanted to ask you just a little bit about your job and your title, about what exactly the Waterfowl Program Manager does and how long you've been there. Uh, maybe not necessarily in that position, but how long you've been with uh, with Delta. Sure. Um, well, as a, as a waterfowl program manager, I, I work with two other guys in our programs department, uh, and our programs are focusing on uh, producing more ducks uh, for the fall flight, and we do that through uh, using hen houses and predator management uh, to increase hatch rates and, and put more put more birds in the air. Um, I've uh, I've been full time with Delta for about three years, but uh, my first first year working as a summer intern with Delta was back in '08, uh, and that led to to me doing a, a master's project with Delta, and uh, and then that led into a full time position. So I've I've been associated with Delta for about eight years now. Wow, that's a pretty good tenure to have there. With those guys, you know, you came on board to do your master's stuff about the time that I was leaving from, I guess, uh, 04 until 
2000 or until 2010, probably I was the um, retriever editor for the National Magazine. So you were coming in the door about the time I was going out. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I know you've worked up there in the research station, and also you've been in Manitoba most recently, I think, hunting uh, in the last couple of weeks. How was that? Uh, it was it was phenomenal. Uh, lots of birds this year, and uh, we uh, it's it's pretty wet up there, so we couldn't drive in too many of the fields. So we got to do things the old-fashioned way and and hauling all the decoys, you know, into the fields. And so my my back got quite the workout over the last ten days. And I bet it did. So what did you see while you were up there? I mean, were there still a lot of birds in the prairie pothole region? There are, there are, and and uh, especially in certain regions, um, and uh, and we've actually got quite a few guys uh, on the ground now um, across the prairie potholes, and and uh, for Delta waterfowl, we are we are putting together a a status of the migration report that should be available here in the next week or so uh, on our website at deltawaterfowl.org for for everybody to kind of see you know, where the birds are at and, and what the forecast is looking like for this fall. Yeah, I'm anxious to, uh, to see that. And it's actually something that I think Josh um, is going to share the link on the DuckSouth.com website as soon as that comes available. Um, yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's going to be a really fun resource to have. It's going to be really cool to see that and get uh, different insights on what's going on up and down the, up and down the flyways. That's going to be really neat. Well, leading into that, so talk to us, if you will, Mike, a little bit about the science behind migration. Um, you know, here on the podcast, we've talked an awful lot on the pa- in the past about the photo period and how that influences birds, of course, food and water, the availability of those, um, and, and weather conditions. And if you could just, you know, kind of tie all that together for us from a scientific standpoint and... Uh, Tell us how that works, man. That'd be awesome. Absolutely. Well, the the first thing the, that we really kind of have to wrap our minds around is that is that migration from an energy standpoint of a duck is extremely energetically expensive. It it takes a lot of calories for for a duck to fly from from Alaska or or grounds in the prairie potholes down to down to the southern states, and so. Um, so energy conservation is a is a big factor of it, and the big thing is uh, I, there's there's several migration cues, and I'll go over a couple of them. Uh, Jay Paul, you talked about it a little bit earlier. Uh, food and water are are probably the biggest uh, drivers of the migration, and uh, it's it's whether the the duck has available food, available water, and a lot of that is determined by the weather. Um, if if they have food where they are, they have available water where they are, they're not going to move. Um, it's to to kind of put it in a human perspective. If you've got a if you've got a grocery store right next door to your house and there's one ten miles down the road, which one are you going to go to? You're going to go to the one right next door because it doesn't have as much, you know, it doesn't cost you as much to to go there from an energy standpoint. It's the same thing with the ducks. But once that grocery store closes, then you got to go. And and so it's with the ducks. It's 
once the uh, food goes away and the uh, and the water goes away, then that's when they start to to head south. Um, we we here at Delta receive many phone calls throughout the fall um, from hunters in the south, Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, you know, Mississippi, Tennessee, saying where are the ducks? And uh, and if there's not that cold pushing them down, um, then then sometimes the birds just don't go that far south. You know, you're they're only going to go as far as they need to go. Um, obviously, there's a lot of difference between individual birds, and uh, but but for the most part, they stay as far north as as they can, um, unless the weather dries them out. Mike, let me ask you this: Are the, are there certain species of ducks that leave the nesting grounds no matter what, based on that fo- photo migration? Yes, there are. Um, blue winged teal are a perfect example of that. Um, you guys down in the south, you'll you'll know this very well that uh, that that special September teal season you guys have, um, pretty much all that's around there is blue winged teal. Um, so blue and teal leave the leave the breeding grounds based on photo period. So that's why you guys are shooting them in in September. Uh, at the same time that up here in North Dakota and Manitoba and Saskatchewan, we're we're still shooting mallards and and pintails because the photo period or the the length of the day um, is really driving the migration of those blue winged teal. Do, look, does does photo migration? How does it affect? The puddle. Well, I know a teal is a puddle duck, but don't don't get me wrong in saying that. But the bigger puddle ducks, the mallards, the pintails, the gadwalls, the the ducks that we love to shoot here in the south. How does that photo migration affect those birds? So it it, it does. It certainly does. Uh, maybe not as early as the as the teal, but it it certainly does because they they sense that that the days are getting shorter. So you know that grocery store is about to get closed here. Um, and so they're 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 seeing, especially with the gadwall and the widgeon and the pintails, that really depend on those those shallow wetlands uh, for for a lot of their food. Um, you know they they can they can tell by the shortening of the day that hey, it's about to get cold up here. Our our grocery store is about to close. We better get going. Yeah, that makes total sense. I mean, because there are certain species we know that we see at certain times, and and the photo period changes that. Uh, Mike, let me ask you this. Over the last few weeks, we've talked a lot about shifts in the migration and how much, um, you know, it appears to us down here in the Mississippi Flyway that we have more birds migrating further west and that um, birds stay north a little bit longer. Um, How much do over the last couple of decades, has changing agricultural practices influenced the migration, or has it at all? Oh, it, it most certainly has. Um, our Delta Waterfowl's president, Frank Rower, he uh, he used to be a professor at LSU, and he would always tell his students that, um, you know, down on coastal Louisiana, um, the in in all the big marshes, that's where the snow geese, for example, used to be. Uh, but with the advancement of agriculture, they started to go more into those rice fields. Um, and so as agriculture improves and there's more availability, um, you know, uh, food availability anyways, they're, they're, 
their patterns will definitely will definitely alter and and what you were talking about with birds staying further north longer um that's you know that's pretty much exactly what I was talking about with with the weather is that the the advancement of agriculture has allowed that food to stay around uh for a lot longer and so they're able to stay north a lot longer um, one of the things that we talked about last week and I actually made a Facebook live post about and then got a little bit of pushback from it, um, and maybe I'm wrong about this, but it seems to me some, part of the reason that they're staying north longer besides weather is that there's more food as no-till farming practices uh, have advanced, particularly in the Corn Belt, we all know that when you no-till, you're leaving more grain on the ground behind than if you come back and disc it after you harvest it. Is that accurate, or does that play a part at all? You know, you, when you know, looking on your Facebook, your Facebook post earlier today, I I, I definitely agree with that, and that and that uh, if if a lot of that grain isn't being poured back into the ground, um, if it's staying available for them, it's much easier for the birds to access that. Um, and, and some, and it's, it's kind of with the no-till, it's kind of, it's kind of patchy where you see it and where you don't, um, uh, up in, up in where I was in Manitoba last week, um, there's actually quite a bit of it, quite a bit of no-till. Um, but then in, in other areas of the prairies, uh, as soon as the crop gets off of it, it's, it's plowed under the black dirt. So it, but it definitely does, uh, it definitely does help with the, the food availability. And as long as that's around, and they can get to it, and there's open water for them to to roost on or to stay on. Um, then then they're going to hang around here a lot longer. Um, like one thing that also that we've talked about a lot here lately on the podcast and on the website has been the obvious shift in uh, waterfowl migration to the west. Some of it gets uh, I'm say blamed on, but I guess the thought is that there's so much more irrigation, more crops, and a variety out west that that's caused some of it. At Delta, have y'all noticed that too? The, the shift more to the west with migration. Um, you know, you know, some. I I grew up in uh, I grew up actually in Vermont, up in the northeast part of the of the country, and uh, and uh, we we've seen something kind of like that uh, over the past couple of decades uh, in that area where there used to be a lot of a lot more birds and it seems like they are shifting west and and a lot of that you kind of hit the nail on the head is is they're following the food they're following the the available food the available water if if certain areas are dry then you know they're not going to come through there they're going to they're going to find the water they're going to find the food and and it just so happens that you know that may be shifting west but it may shift back east depending on the year um and so there's there's a lot of different factors that really play a part in in how these are how these birds kind of come down the pipeline, um, but as a whole, you know the the Mississippi Flyway, the Central Flyway, the Pacific and Atlantic Flyways that that have been established, you know for the most part they're all still the same birds are coming from the same places, so um, they they. The, the, the core flyways still remain. They just may be some minor shifts here and there, west or east, or, or uh, you know, depending on where the available habitat is. Yeah, you know, that, that's a that's a really interesting point, especially for I think a lot for the younger generation. You know, coming along, maybe they 
they haven't necessarily noticed that um, versus the guys who've been hunting 20 or 30 years can, you know, can sit back and say, well, we definitely see a, a big difference. And I think that's why it's been, you know, a, a hot topic um, on the site and, and in the in the forum and stuff like that. Another thing that is kind of a, a, a big question mark, uh, especially for me, but Rocky and Jay Paul and myself, we were all talking about it late, uh, here lately, was for some reason it seems like when ducks get to a certain point, uh, coming down the flyway, and we'll just say Mississippi flyway for 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 this topic, but that dry field feeding tends to stop at some point. Um, you know, and we we're down here in the Mississippi Delta with you know, ag fields everywhere. Now, yeah, we don't have a lot of the we don't have much no-till, so there's not as much grain. But but why why is that? Why why does the the dry field feeding seem to just stop at some some point coming down the flyway is there any kind of science behind that well and i i can't i can't point to a citation that specifically says this but my my opinion on it is is that you know up here up here in the north they're they are trying to uh store as much energy build up as much fat as they can because what i like i said earlier migrating is very energetically expensive so they need to have a lot of energy reserves um, to make that migration flight, and once they get down into um, into the southern states to where um, they're going to winter, then they they're they're feeding. They don't need to build up as much fat. They don't need to build up as much weight until later on when they're about ready to make the uh, make the journey back north. What they're focusing on once they hit the wintering grounds, uh, especially for the puddle ducks, is is finding a mate. Is 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 pairing up with a mate to to fall back up in the spring. <laughs> Man, thank you very much, Mike, too, because you know, we just had this uh discussion yesterday and um today I've already received a couple of calls. We were talking about this in the podcast that we put out and, and you know our our uh thought was that hey First, you got to put on the the carbs to migrate, and then when they get down here, they don't need it as much. And so, uh, I'm feeling pretty smart right now, thanks to you, Mike Buxton. <laughs> Mike, Mike, he always feels that way. So, <laughs> oh my! All right, Rocky, I know you've been dying to ask Mike a question, so throw it out there, brother. Mike, as far as a migration expert on our podcast, we've never had somebody as as close to your caliber. So, and I'm going to ask a question that all the listeners of this podcast would, would want to hear. What has changed the migration the past 20 years? And what patterns, as you keep a year-to-year data of the migration, what, what changes are you seeing? What are those minor shifts? Well, I think a big part of it, uh, Rocky, is I, I I'm going back to the water. Um, you know, it's 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 available water. Birds are going to find the water, and 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 uh, from a year to year standpoint, food changes. I mean, even even in some of these prairie potholes up here, um, one one year it'll be loaded up with freshwater shrimp, and you'll have some of the best bluebill shooting you've ever seen. And the next year, it there's not a single duck on it because uh, there's that there's the the cycle that some of those 
some of those ponds and some of those lakes go through. And so um, being out here for, for only, you know, four or five years, four or five falls, I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out. I'm, uh, <laughs> I, I'm trying to figure it out for my own hunting, and I'm trying to figure it out for all the calls that I get uh, throughout the fall. Uh, but I I truly believe that a, a big part of it is is you know shifts in where the water is where the water isn't and uh, and what the what the food what the food's availability is you know from year to year. Yeah, and and that makes total sense. I mean, you know, we have seen you know as a biologist, uh, I know the weather goes in cycles. You know, you'll have several years in a row that are dry, followed by several years in a row that are wet. You'll have changes in agriculture. You will have um, changes in temperature. You know, we'll have warm years and then cold years. So, you know, it seems to me, based on years of experience and talking to you guys, that the one thing that we can predict and count on about the migration is that it's always going to be changing in cycles and that the most predictable thing about it is that we're never going to be able to completely predict it. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. My, my suggestion to everybody that calls, that calls, uh, me here at Delta is, uh, is keep an eye on, on the weather up North. Cause when there's a, when there's a big cold front that comes through, or if there's a big, uh, you know, a big hard North wind followed by some, some, colder weather you know those birds are going to start moving down um they're going to and, it's, and a lot of these birds are um are are moving at night i mean i'm going out uh, to let my dog out in the middle of the night and uh i live not too far from the missouri river and i can just hear trains of of canada geese and snow geese flying south on along the missouri river when we get a good north wind so yeah well, man, I'll tell you what, I know that you were short on time to begin with, and we've probably kept you a little bit longer than we originally meant to, but you have absolutely been a wealth of information. I think that our regular listeners out there are going to get a whole lot out of this. And personally, I know that I can speak for me and Rocky and Josh. For all of us, it was good to have you come on here and, and bring together some of the things that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. Um most of all, though, I'm excited about this new migration report that you've got coming out. And, you know, here in a few days, thanks to the people that you've got in the field right now, you're going to be able to tell us where the ducks are. When that comes out here in the next day or two, where do we go to find that? Uh, you can go right to the, the Delta Waterfowl website. It's uh, deltawaterfowl.org, and there will be a, a link to the to the migration report on there. Um, and, and, and hopefully a lot of questions will be answered, um, by duck hunters all over, all over North America, uh, from that, uh, from that report. That's awesome. Also, I know that, um, for members only, for, for people that are members of Delta Waterfowl in the coming weeks, you're going to be releasing a regular, um, update on where the birds are. I think that Alex, uh, your director of communications, was telling me that that's going to be on the website and members only area available here in the next couple of weeks. And um, you be sure and let Alex know that I plan on having him back on 
here in about two weeks to tell us about that and where we can access it. I think that along with what Josh is going to be doing with his podcast on the migration report is going to be really, really useful for all of our listeners out there. And for all of us guys like me and Rocky and Josh that uh, are, are so hardcore about this. And one of the things that I love about Delta is I know that most of the guys up there in Bismarck in the office, just like you, Mark, are hardcore waterfowlers also and are really committed to the ducks because hunting is in your blood as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, we'll let you get out of here unless Rocky or Josh has something else for you. And Mike, thank you so much. Uh, for joining us today. We were glad to have you and uh, hope everybody will stick with us though after you sign off because me and Rocky and Josh have just a little bit more. Thanks so much, Mike. Thank you, guys. Wow. I mean, guys, Mike brought a lot to the table and really did tie in some of the things we've been talking about over the last few weeks to where just about anybody could understand it, don't you think? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of good information there. Yeah, I was really glad that we could have somebody from Delta on because those guys are committed to the science, and that was a great segment. And by the way, as always, this first half of the On Next podcast powered by DuckSouth.com has been brought to you by Hardcore Brands and Hardcore Decoys. Hardcore, makers of the most innovative and durable waterfowl products on the market today. They know it's not easy being hardcore. And I can't believe that us hardcore waterfowlers in the South are looking at record temperatures in the upper 80s. Josh, what's the temperature where you're at right now? Uh, that would be a smooth 88 degrees, and it is uh, just lovely being outside in it all day. Holy cow. Yeah. Man, and, uh, um, and it was, you know, last night I walked outside, and it was still just muggy, just sticky outside, not like late well not late october not like november um now that it's november it's just it's been unbelievable it, it's made wanting to go deer hunting hard it's made thinking about duck season hard it's just and it's just been hot and miserable and we're going on we're nearing 60 days without a measurable rain here at the house um we're 56 or 57 days um we do well I, we did have a little rain mm, a week a week or so ago, but, you know, it was two or three tenths. Um, that's it. Um, so you talk about things being dry. It is beyond dry here. Yeah, same thing's true here. I was out on the fields yesterday, and, man, if we don't get some rain, it's going to take forever to pump them up because I know that water table has to be just so, so low. But you're right. When you said October, last night was the last night of October, Halloween night, and, uh, you know, my kids – are grown up, and uh, my last one's 16, so she's beyond uh, dressing up much for Halloween. But I know both of you guys have little ones. So tell me about y'all's trick-or-treating adventures last night. Rocky, I understand that Oxford, Mississippi, not only is the place to be on a football weekend, but that Halloween and trick-or-treating with the kids in Oxford is just crazy. Is that true? Oh, yeah. I, I had my first experience of, a long time of dressing up for Halloween. My, I agreed with my kids to dress up with them. And <laughs> yeah, I'll have to send you guys a picture of it. But uh, the you only sound really excited that, about it, too. I mean, it was pretty I was good. 
was pretty good. I scared the crap out of some people. I, I dressed up as Michael Myers, and it was almost like I was a celebrity walking around Oxford. I, I, I literally probably took, and I, I do not say this arrogantly, but I probably took 50 pictures last night with people, 50 selfies. Wow, I bet those people were wondering why you kept stopping them and asking them, hey, will you take a selfie with me? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, he paid off a lot of people in Lafayette County last night. You, you know, walking I'm through sorry, some of those Rocky. stoplights, walking through some of those stoplights at crosswalks and walking through that light, and I'm six foot five and dressed as Michael Myers, I look just like him. In the movie Halloween, I mean, I depicted him perfectly, except for my shoes. I had on my running tennis shoes because we did so much walking last night. But the <laughs> looks from people at a six foot five Michael Myers walking across a crosswalk—it it, was—it was crazy. <laughs> I bet it was. Did, did you dress well, up at all? Yeah, that was my me? question. Yeah. Uh, you know what, guys? Yeah, I, I wanted to dress up. I said I was going to. I decided that I wanted to dress up as an honest presidential candidate, but I wasn't able to do it because nobody knows what the hell that looks like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gosh, dog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's bad to laugh at. It's the truth. <laughs> you know, no, I, really man, wish, I, I really wish we could have got into it with, um, with Mike a little bit more about the Halloween flight. And, you know, just talking a little bit more details with him about the species. But I know he was short on time. And, you know, because I, I'm just going to tell you, there, you know, right across the road from, from, from the lodge there, there's one of the biggest duck hunting areas around. And there's ducks there. He he pumped up water a couple of weeks ago, and it's old fish ponds that were put in WRP. And, you know, the ducks are starting to show up. You see gadwalls, you um there's there's some teal out there, um, just in what you can see from the road. Yeah, but you know, I mean, he did answer that question when you brought up the Halloween flight. I mean, he, um, you know, he came back and said that there are photo period migrators, and then, you know, we got him to elaborate on that a little bit more. And I hope everybody out there listening realizes that, you know, there's not just one thing that triggers the migration. There are a whole lot of things, but. You know, we've talked about several times the shortening of the days, and and he pretty much nailed it down right there. When you got somebody from Delta Waterfowl saying this is a sign, you know, it's all these things combined. It's just figuring out how they work together sometimes. It's tough. But, you know, that's one of the fun things uh, about duck hunting. I mean, it is hunting. You know, if we knew exactly when that last mallard or that first mallard was going to leave Saskatchewan or or North Dakota, uh, it'd be a whole lot easier and it wouldn't be nearly the challenge that it is today. So. I'd love to know more about it, but I'm kind of glad that we can't just totally, totally predict it. You know, it gives leaves some of the anticipation and excitement in it. Yeah, Jay Paul, I tell you, as a as a duck guide, if we could predict when they were going to be here, I know I could schedule these dates for hunters to come in a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, and it'd be really easy to pick your days off when you knew when they weren't going to be there too. <laughs> oh, yeah. How many times have you went out and thought, "Oh my God, if I could have just stayed home today," you know? But I don't know. That I don't know yeah. about stay at home, but 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 you hate for a client to see a bad day. No doubt about it. But all that being said, I mean, Mike did bring a whole lot of stuff 
to us that I, I think helps us understand it a whole lot better. And, you know, I know normally at this point we close out our show with final thoughts, but I, I want to continue this thread on into our next podcast. Um, Houston wasn't able to be with us today, but he's been texting me back and forth and asking me about some of the cool stuff we've been talking to Mike about. So I want to close it out right here because here in a couple of days, we're going to have Houston come in. And, and because he's kind of a novice at this and, and a newbie, you know, he's got some questions that I, I think we can answer based on some of the information that we've gotten that we gained here today that would be really useful for new guys that are out there at DuckSouth.com coming into the sport as well. But it's a great podcast. Really appreciate Mike Buxton from Delta Waterfowl being here. And hope everybody out there has enjoyed this episode of the On the X podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. <laughs>